Uh, those of you who know me know that I'm a little bit of a news junkie, and uh, news that's come across my TV, phone, laptop the last few weeks has been a little on the brutal side. Just a few days ago in Iraq, mass unrest turned into protests, and, and the military just killed 40 of the protesters, just wiped them right out there on the spot. Uh, just over two weeks ago, what happened as part of the Mexican drug war is mind-boggling. Uh, on the afternoon of Thursday, October 17th, so not that long ago, in the city of Calicon, police and soldiers from the Mexican uh, government arrested Ovito Guzman. This is El Chapo Guzman's son. Some of you might know that El Chapo that is that all-powerful Mexican drug lord. He's now serving a life sentence in the U.S. for his leading role as a kingpin in the Mexican drug cartel. Well, the Mexican government, with a little support from the U.S., decided it was time to get El Chapo's son off the streets and out of the drug business. It was a massive military operation, and Ovita Guzman was captured. However, in the process, hundreds of gunmen from the Guzman cartel came out with guns blazing. They totally overpowered the military forces. They killed a dozen soldiers. And the military were forced to free El Chapo's son, who is now back being a kingpin in the Mexican drug war. The Guzman drug cartel won the battle against the Mexican military. I mean, how crazy is that? Um, yeah, just it, it, it defies my mind. I mean, if you've been to Mexico and seen how well-armed and intimidating the uh, Mexican military looks, yeah, they lost to the drug cartel. As I mentioned earlier, Jane and I are headed to Mexico City in a couple of weeks to connect with our international workers there, our missionaries there. Fortunately, Culiacan is over 1,100 kilometers from Mexico City, yes. Have any of you been following the fires in Southern California? For those of us who went through the wildfires in 2016, it's a, it's a bit jolting to watch. And I noticed uh, three uh, Canadian press reports this week that compared what's happening in California's fire to the Fort McMurray fires and followed up those reports with stories of people in our city still struggling with insurance and builders and the mess many people are still working through three years later. Friends, life is hard. Would you agree with that? Even here in Fort McMurray, it, it can get tough. Everything seems to be a battle. Nothing is easy. The fact is life is difficult. It just doesn't come handed to us on a platter. And from time to time, all of us ask the question, why is life so hard? Why is there suffering in the world? For some people, it causes them to lose faith. For other people, it draws them to faith. It's probably one of the most important questions you'll ask, and, and it's been asked throughout history. In the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, one of the oldest books in the Bible is actually the book of Job. And Job asked this same question thousands of years ago when he says, why is life so hard? Why do we suffer? What I want to do today in our fight series of messages is take a look at that question. And what I want to do is, is walk through the Bible to unpack the cause and then look at the damage that's done in our world. And then as we go to communion, we'll celebrate the answer to the mess we're in, that the way through the mess is what Jesus did for us through his death and resurrection. So the cause, the damage, the solution, if I can use those as headings that we'll be walking through this morning. So let's start with the cause, the reason why life is so hard, why why it's so difficult to live on this planet, whether you're in Fort McMurray or in northern Syria fending off ISIS. To understand the cause, we have to look at many parts of the Bible, but we've got to start with the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. 
Now, what you'll find reading the Bible, whether you're reading the Old Testament, when you're reading the Old Testament or, uh, or the New Testament, what, we, uh, what you'll find there is the Bible in its entirety tells us that sin and rebellion against God broke everything. Like absolutely everything. Human life, this planet, the environment, our weather, it was all broken by sin and rebellion. And it all started back with the first human couple, Adam and Eve, way back in the Garden Eden. Now, you may not buy this Genesis stuff if you're not a Christian believer. That's okay. But the Christian understanding of how our world and human life all began is that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, what God created was perfect. It was paradise. And in that perfect world, Adam and Eve had no problem, no pain, no sorrow, no suffering or sadness or sickness, no trials or temptations or troubles, no defeats, no discouragement, no despair, no depression. None of that was part of our world when the first human beings were created. God created the first human beings in this perfect world and then gave us free will. You see, God was not looking for us to be robots, but to be people who would freely choose to love and follow God. Core to who we are as human beings is we have freedom of choice. We have free will. One day, Adam and Eve decided they wanted to do what they wanted to do and not what God had asked them to do. God said, you, you can do uh, everything you want, everything except this one thing. Like That's kind of the minimum temptation possible, right? You, you can do anything you want except this one thing and what does man want to do? Immediately, the one thing that God says not to do. So maybe you're asking the question right now. So why did God even give them a choice in the first place? Well, because without a choice, you can't choose to love God. If you're forced to love God, you have no choice, and then that's not real love. Make sense? God gave the gift of freedom. Adam and Eve decided that they know better. We know what will make us happy. We're going to do what we want to do. And we can be God too. And so they chose to do the one thing that God said, don't do. In the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, the Apostle Paul explains it this way. Sin came into the world because of what one man did. And with sin came death. Okay, maybe I should give you a word of warning again this week. Again, this week, I'm just going to throw a lot of teaching, a lot of theology at you. It might get a bit heavy, but I'm sure from time to time you can handle it. So just buckle up a little bit this morning and let's go. In the beginning, before sin, there was no death in the world. There, there was no pain in the world. There was no sorrow, no hardship in the world. Adam and Eve could have lived forever as long as it was a perfect environment. All that changed. Everything became broken when sin brought death into the world. And it's not just Adam and Eve who made that choice. I've made it. You've made it. And everyone else in the world has made it. We've all said, I want to do it my way. I want to do what's easy or what's convenient, what's fun. I want to be my own boss. God, you're not the boss of me. I think I know what will make me happy more than God does. We've all done this. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah says, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's past to follow our own. Okay, we live in Fort McMurray, which means we're not big on sheep around here. Okay, I get that. So here's what's true about sheep. They're prone to wander. They, they like to go where they want. It's natural. It's in their nature. And we're the same. The writers of the Bible say that we are like sheep. We, we tend to do our own thing. 
Even those of us who call ourselves Christians, we say, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, even though I know it's not what God says is the right thing. Because really, you know, as Canadians, one of our biggest values is, is freedom and personal autonomy, the right to do my own thing. Old Testament Israel's King Solomon put it like this. No one can say I am innocent. I have never done anything wrong. So now that we've got it clear, you're not innocent, okay? I'm not innocent. We're broken. All of us, we're broken people to some degree or another. And that's why nothing works correctly. Your marriage, your health, your finances, your body, your relationships, nothing works correctly. Sin broke everything. And that includes everything on the planet. Nations are broken, politics are broken, the weather is broken, the environment is broken. I know, you came to church to get all cheered up, and so far all I'm saying is everything's broken. Nothing on the planet works perfectly, sin has damaged everything, we're hooped. Okay. But you've got to see this if we're ever going to understand what's going on in our lives and understand what's going on in the world. You have to understand that you, yourself, and every part of this planet, despite the beauty you see, and you are beautiful, and this world is beautiful, and Fort McMurray is awesome, but we're also sin-cracked human beings who live in a sin-wrecked world. We have to understand this. We have to understand the implications of this before we can figure out how to live well in this world of ours. So at the risk of making this message one of the most depressing that you have ever heard, let me unpack a little more what it means that we live in a broken world, and I'm grabbing some things from Rick Warren here. Let me throw several things out that are, I think they're kind of obvious, but maybe you don't realize uh, all of this is because of how, since Adam and Eve, uh, this has been doing damage in our world ever since. So, so let's look at the damage. Um, let's just, uh, yeah, let's go from the cause and let's take a look at the damage that it's causing. And we'll start out with something that's just kind of like headline news these days. We live in a world full of natural disasters and, and deformities. Um, now, okay, as a church family, as a city, we're probably more divided than you might imagine on the issue of climate change and how to approach climate change. I mean, just say the word climate change and you're treading on dangerous ground in our city, right? Now, theologically, what climate change is, it's an expression of the brokenness of the world we live in. We see this happening in the world because of what sin does in the world. The environment is impacted by sin on multiple fronts. It suffers from human sin. I'm just talking poor choices we human beings make in our planet. But it also suffers from the fact that this planet has been broken and our climate has been broken since the days of Adam and Eve. Again, I'm treading on dangerous ground, and some of you are waiting to see where I go with this. Okay, where I want to go is this. No matter where you stand on climate issues, there are two truths as followers of Jesus that I think we need to hang on to. One, you have the truth that our planet has been broken since the days of Adam and Eve, since sin entered our world. And two, you also have the truth that we human beings contribute to the brokenness. We create more mess. And this is not just true of the climate, but in every area of brokenness that we'll be looking at this morning. The brokenness of our world is rooted in the entrance of sin into the world at the time of Adam and Eve. But then you and I, we just keep doing stuff to make things worse. Here's how the Apostle Paul describes what happened to planet Earth when sin first entered our world. For creation was condemned to lose its purpose. When sin entered our world, everything on the planet was impacted. 
the purpose of everything was distorted. And hey, let's be honest, deep in all of us is a yearning to return to this paradise lost where everything works the way it was originally designed to work. Deep in all of us is this desire to see this world restored. Deep inside, we all know that this world is not as it should be. You know that. You know, you have probably figured out by now that, yeah, Fort McMurray isn't heaven. It it isn't, right? The contemporary English version of the same passage says, creation is confused. It's not working the way it's supposed to be working. That's everything in your world, including your DNA, your, your parents' DNA, their parents' DNA, and everything else. Have you figured it out yet that your body doesn't always work quite right? Right? So there are emotional disabilities, mental disabilities. There are physical disabilities. Every one of us has defective parts to our minds, our bodies, our spirits, because sin has broken everything. I saw a news clip out of Edmonton this week where a coyote jumped into this backyard and had this blind one-year-old Pomeranian, kind of a small dog in his jaws and was attempting to run off with it. Then you see this guy jumping out of the sliding glass door uh, off of the deck. All he has on are his shorts. Uh, uh, He must have got them on real quick. Anyways, he gets out there and his arms are flailing and he chases that coyote uh, uh, away and... uh, Coyotes eating smaller dogs is just, you know, in Edmonton, is just part of living in a broken world. Could happen here. So animals, people, this planet, we, we all have defects because sin has broken everything, because creation is confused. The Apostle Paul says all creation groans with pain. Paul is saying that all creation itself is waiting for the time when it will be healed, restored, made whole. To put it more bluntly, the environment needs to be saved, not just people. Our environment needs to be saved. And the good news that you see at the communion table is that day is coming, but I'll get to that in a minute. Let's keep going, though, with the depressing stuff, right? Let's look at the reality of physical decay and death. There was no death on this planet until sin entered the world. There was no decay on this planet until sin entered this world. It was perfect. It was paradise. But now, because sin has entered the world, there is death and there is decay. Solomon writes, No one can control the wind or stop his own death. All that means is you're going to die. Okay? I knew you needed to know that. It's coming. You know you're all going to die sooner or later. <clears throat> but you know, we, we go to great, great lengths to delay death, right? Olavalet, lotions, potions, Botox, surgeries. What are we trying to do? We just want to delay our decay, right? That's what we're trying to do. So the Apostle Paul just says the obvious. Our physical body is becoming older and weaker. Thank you, Paul. And and one of the things, though, I am excited about at Fort City is we are no longer a mostly 20-something church. That's who we were when I started almost eight years ago. Now we have all ages. Heck, we have seniors now. Used to be that seniors wouldn't live in Fort McMurray, too expensive. But now they have family here, costs are lower, so they stay. And some of them can't sell their home, so that's another issue. But... The neighbor beside me, uh, their grandparents are retired and they're fixing up their home. And I said, oh, you're, you're fixing up to head back to Newfoundland. Oh, we're not going anywhere soon. <clears throat> we, but we got family here, so we're okay. And uh, so, yeah, things have changed here. But those of you who are younger, and that's still a majority of you, let me tell you the good news about what's about to happen to you. Over time, parts of your body begin to sag, okay? You, you start to have furniture problems. Your chest drops into your drawers. 
As you, as you get older, some of you will have teeth that shine like the stars. They'll come out at night. And here's how you know if you're aging, if you're getting older. When you bend down to pick something up, you say, is there something else I can do while I'm still down here? I don't want to waste the effort. All right. Now, King Solomon, he's brutal about death and decay. He writes, at that time, your arms will shake and your legs will become weak. Your teeth will fall out so that you cannot chew and your eyes will not clearly see. He goes on. Even the chirping of birds will wake you up because they irritate you. You're so sensitive, you can't get to sleep. But you yourself will be deaf and tuneless with a quavering voice. You'll be white hair and weathered, dragging along without any sexual desire. Now you know why Viagra got so popular. Solomon called it first. You'll be standing at death's door as you near your everlasting home and the mourners will walk along the streets. I mean, aren't you glad you came? The Bible is just chock full of words of inspiration and encouragement. Like, like why is that even in the Bible? Why is all this stuff happening? It's because sin broke everything, including your DNA. And that means I can pretty well guarantee, again, just reminding you, you're going to die. The apostle says, Paul says, everyone dies because all of us are related to Adam. That's bad news. But really, this bad news has a good news side. I mean, think about it. Living forever on this planet would mean living forever in a world full of rape, sexual abuse, corruption, sorrow, sadness, greed, power plays, violence. And then add disease, natural disaster, human-made disasters. Hey, our God, he, he wants you to live forever. But he wants you to live forever in a perfect place. Not on a planet that is broken by sin. I kind of like that. Here's the good news. This is from the Apostle Paul. In the same way, our earthly bodies which die and decay are different from the bodies we shall have when we come back to life again. For, for they will never die. The bodies we have now embarrass us. For they will become sick and die but they will be full of glory when we come back to life again. Yes, they are weak, dying bodies now, but when we live again, they will be full of strength. They are just human bodies at death, but when they come back to life, they will be superhuman bodies, for just as there are natural bodies, there are also supernatural spiritual bodies, and that comes from the Living Bible. And this good news is what we'll be celebrating in a moment when we come up for communion. Jesus purchased our new supernatural bodies at the cross. But let's get back to the dark stuff. You got emotional distress, pain, disappointment, all because of what sin has done in our world. The, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes is really one a depressing book to read. King Solomon had experienced better days in his life, but now he's at a point in his life where he's just depressing. I mean, listen to how he describes life. I observed everything going on under the sun, and, and really, it is all meaningless. Like chasing the wind. What's wrong cannot be made right. What's missing cannot be recovered. Well, what's Solomon saying? He's saying that as a human being, sometimes life just sucks. Sometimes life seems a little pointless because I cannot change the past and, and I cannot control the future. What's past is past and all the stuff that I've done wrong, I just can't undo it. I can't unscramble an egg. I can't control the future as well. So there's just a lot in your life that you have absolutely zero control over. It's like living in a city that got ravaged by a wildfire and living in a city where the drop in oil prices has had such a huge impact on all of our lives. 
Sure, there are things you can control, but let's be, let's be honest, there's a lot of stuff that's out of our control. We have to face the fact that this world cannot be fixed by human effort alone. So we live with a lot of disappointment, disappointment with our circumstance and disappointment with ourselves. And friend, the truth is, this is not heaven. Heaven is yet to come. And right now, everything on this planet is broken. Let's keep going. You've got damaged relationships where sin results in relational distance and discord. In other words, if you're human, you've got conflict with people. In a perfect environment where there is no sin, you're not going to have any conflict. But in marriage where you take one person who is imperfect and another person who is imperfect, two imperfect people cannot make a perfect relationship. Friends, this is like totally impossible. And Yeah, I knew this pastoral couple and they, they told us, Jane and I, when we were young in our marriage, that they had never, ever had a fight. I went, oh man, we're blowing it real bad real early. But then I thought about it, and I went, right. One person's being a total doormat to the other person. This isn't really a great relationship, and fortunately it didn't stay that way. But yeah, somehow we thought, I, we can't. And somebody had to be less than human to make it. No, I, it's okay. We don't want you fighting all the time. But if you never fight, that might be a problem too. Just, just an observation, but it's part of being human. And then when you go to work, what, what happens at work? You get multiple imperfect people, not just two of you, right? And, and so that creates the odd mess, right? Hey, King Solomon really gets this. You read in Ecclesiastes, and, 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 and you kind of see him saying, so I'm going to paraphrase him a little bit. He, he kind of says, hey, people, they're just not nice to each other. People don't always treat each other kindly. People misuse each other. They abuse each other. People are phony. They wear masks. They cover up. People hurt each other, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. Why? Because we're all broken and we live on a broken planet. Here's what Solomon said. I saw all the people who were mistreated on earth. I saw their tears and they had no one to comfort them. It all goes back to the first couple, Adam and Eve. When they rebelled against God, it not only disconnected them from God, it disconnected them from each other. Let's keep going. We're, we're on a great depressing roll right now, okay? Financial and job difficulties. They've been around ever since sin first entered the world. That means, you know, don't be surprised when your best made financial plans don't always work or worse, when your bad decisions cost you so much more than you imagined. There's a few of us like me who had made plans with what our house would do come the future. You know, the idea being that it would go up in value. But we moved to Fort McMurray, and it went down in value. Kind of not what we had planned and kind of figured out how it was going to work, right? It is uh, kind of what it is. And uh, same thing with your job. It's all impacted by the reality of sin in us and in this world. Take a look at these words from King Solomon. Here is a terrible thing that I've seen in this world. People save up their money for a time when they may need it and then lose it all in some bad deal and end up with nothing left to pass on to their kids, children. Again, another cheery thought brought to you by the Bible. This part of the Bible, by the way, is called the wisdom literature. Maybe it's just a little bit too wise, don't you think? But then it gets more depressing. We can keep going here. I hated life because the work I did under the sun was meaningless to me. You ever feel that way about work? 
Well, you're not alone. The wisest man on earth felt the same. He says, so I turned in despair from hard work. It was not the answer to my search for satisfaction in this life. Hey, you got to work. You got to provide for you and your family. You got to work whether it's satisfying or not. But because of sin in the world, a lot of work is just work. It will not always be where we find your satisfaction. If you do find your satisfaction in work, awesome, that's great. But it won't be true for all of us. I love my work. But even this work can sometimes turn into work, right? All of this leads to one last catastrophe that comes from living in this sin-wrecked world of ours. We live with spiritual discontent and darkness, spiritual darkness. If you believe in God, and some of you are just exploring faith and you're not sure, and I'm glad you're here, but if you've reached that point where you believe in God, have you ever felt like God is like a million kilometers away? When you pray, you feel like he's not listening. What's going on? The Old Testament prophet Isaiah tells it like this, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. You see, our sin separates us from God. But deciding to follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that you always stay close to Jesus because it's a choice you get to make. Like, you can still say, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. But you can say today, I will follow you, Jesus. It's a choice every day. It's a choice to get up, and do life with Jesus throughout your day. But as you choose maybe to move away from God, sometimes you're not thinking about it, but you're just letting it yourself drift, and you wonder why God feels distant, and then you start searching, and you start looking for God, and you start looking in all the wrong places. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that what they're looking for is God. They, they call it happiness. They say, I'm looking for happiness, or they say, I'm looking for peace, or I'm looking for security. I'm, I'm looking for meaning and purpose. And what they don't realize is that the lack that they are feeling really is the lack of God in their lives. Job says, I'm like a caravan lost in the desert while searching for water. I, I'm thirsty, and I can't find no satisfaction. And the problem is I, I don't realize that my thirst is actually for God, friends. There is a thirst in you, and ultimately it is for God. So, wow, we're hooped, right? What a mess, living in one messed up world. Have I got you depressed enough this morning? Isn't this why you came to Fort City, to hear how dark it is in this world in your life? But as I've been painting this dark picture, there are two communion stations set up front here. Those two communion stations are beacon of light that penetrate the darkness. Those two communion stations move us from depression to joy, from despair to hope. Those communion stations tell us we are not hooped. Here's how Jesus puts it. I have told you all these things, like all these dark things, so that you may have peace. Really? And he goes, hey, in this world you'll have trouble. No kidding. But take heart. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Friends, Jesus overcame it all, all of it. Jesus is the answer to the sin and the mess in your life and in this world. It is not too simplistic to say that Jesus is the answer because Jesus has overcome the world. How? He overcame the world by dying on the cross and making atonement, making payment for your sin, my sin, and the sin of the entire world. When Jesus died, he overcame the curse of sin that breaks this world. The Apostle John says this about Jesus. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Friends, it is only through a personal relationship with Jesus 
where you seek him every day, where you ask him to fill you with his spirit every day. You've got to do this every day that you can access the power that can change your life and bring light to the darkness that is just part of living in this sin-wrecked world of ours. You know, you walk and you talk with Jesus every day by inviting Jesus to be a part of your life every day. Now, hey, you won't fully experience all that Jesus purchased on the cross until eternity. But you know what? Right now you can ask. You can ask Jesus to take what he's done on the cross and apply it to your life, to bring healing, change, and restoration to your life, to, to give you light to walk in this dark world that can get quite horrific at times. Communion is all about the fact that Jesus has reversed the curse of sin and you can begin to experience the reverse of the curse in your life. So that's why week by week I just plead with you, come to Jesus. Whatever issues you've got, whatever issues are weighing you down, come to Jesus with your mess. Lay your sin at the feet of Jesus. Lay your mess at the feet of Jesus. Lay your burden down before Jesus. And then just thank him. Thank him that you will experience it all, complete healing and wholeness come eternity, but then plead with Jesus to experience more and more of that healing and wholeness right now. Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be stumbling in darkness because you will have light that leads to life. Life now, life to the full, life forever. So we ask Jesus to help you, to shed light on your darkness, to help you stop stumbling around. Will you ask Jesus to give you the life you so yearn for, life to the full that starts now and goes on forever? Life transformation change is possible because of Jesus. Dark circumstances can be turned around because of Jesus. Light can turn up in the darkest of places because of Jesus. And that's what communion is all about. Jesus paid it all. Jesus conquered sin and death on the cross and he wants to give you light and life now because of the cross. So in a moment we're going to affirm this truth by coming forward to partake of the sacrament of communion. This is a holy ordinance where I acknowledge that I need Jesus to do what I myself cannot do. I need Jesus to bring light to my darkness, to give me power to overcome my sin and mess and junk that is just doing so much damage and is doing damage all over. I come forward and I take a piece of bread or cracker that pictures the body of Jesus nailed to the cross in payment for my sin and the sin of the world. And I dip it in juice that represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled on the cross that broke the curse in my life in this planet. And as I partake, it's a time of worship where I go, hallelujah, what a savior. Thank you, Jesus, for your life-transforming gift of life. Thank you that you are the light of the world. As I partake, I pray. And do this. Pray as you partake. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your life-changing power. Fill me with Jesus. The bread in the middle is gluten-free. And I just want to invite anyone who says, I believe in Jesus, to come, take bread, dip it in the juice, and, and then partake. And then, you know, take a moment maybe to prayerfully think through what it's all about before you, you know, don't rush this, okay? You can partake up front here. Maybe that's what works really well for you. Or you can go back to your seat and partake. Whatever allows you to maybe meditate and worship authentically. 
And our prayer team is going to be up throughout communion and uh, after the service. And, and what our prayer team is praying is that the work of Jesus on the cross, his healing, restoring work, that it would be applied to your life. So please allow our prayer team to apply the work of the cross to your life through prayer. Let's pray and then the team will come and lead us in a few songs of communion worship as we come forward as you are ready to worship through communion. Let's pray. In fact, as I pray, would you take the words that I pray and kind of pray them on your own and make this your own prayer. Let's go. Father, Heavenly Father, I confess that I do get overwhelmed by the reality of sin and mess in my life and by what happens around me, in my family, where I work. Yeah, God, I I get down when I look at things in this country and world, so just let them know what you're feeling. I, I know that things are not as they should be, and I confess that I can be part of the problem. I confess that so often I just want to do my own thing, and I don't even think about doing it your way. I don't even think about letting you lead me out of this darkness into your glorious light. But today... Today, as I celebrate communion with the rest of my church family, I want to worship you. I want to give you thanks for the gift of Jesus, that Jesus broke the power of sin and death, that Jesus lifts the curse, that Jesus can change my life, that he can make my circumstances better, he can shed light in the midst of darkness. So as I take bread and dip in the juice, as I partake of communion, I ask you to come and fill my life. Fill me with your light, your love, your power. Fill me with Jesus through your Holy Spirit. And as you fill me, would you give me joy to live and love well in the midst of all the sin and mess that is around me? Would you do a work of healing and restoration in my life and life of those I love and the lives of those I work with. And would you use me to be an instrument of your love, bringing your light into this world? I pray all this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.